am doing you a public service. I'm going to tell you why. So th- this is the holiday season, and during the holiday season, everybody's coming out with these holiday milkshakes. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm the one that's going to tell you all about them, because I'm going to taste them for you and let you know what not to drink. So far, you should drink all of them. But uh, a couple weeks ago, my wife and I were, were going somewhere, and she was, she was hungry, and she likes these Burger King chicken sandwiches. I hate Burger King with a passion. Can't stand it. But then she hates Taco Bell, so I guess it makes us even. So, so we go there, and I order those chicken sandwiches, and I'm reading through the thing. I'm talking to the lady, and this chicken sandwich, I guess that's just what it's called. And, and there's this big sign, and it says, Pumpkin Oreo Milkshake. And I'm like, <gasps> I look at my wife, and she goes, you want one? And I go, yeah. So I ordered one. It was, it was really good. So last night we ran some errands and we're, and we're driving home. And we drove by Jack in the Box. And I'm like, I'm sure they got a holiday shake. So I drove over and they had pumpkin Oreo. Or no, they had uh, peppermint Oreo. The pumpkin Oreo was better. But it was still good. So as a, as a service to you, you're welcome. I will try all these that I find. And I... And I <laughs> And I will let you know if they're not any good. <laughs> Seriously, she's like, she's like, I want some McDonald's French fries. And I'm like, we'll go check it out. <laughs> they had no holiday shakes. Shame on McDonald's. You want to be mad about the red cup? Be mad about that. <laughs> so we are in our season of Advent. Uh, this is probably the churchiest decorations we have ever done at Element, by the way. Uh, so we are uh, doing this thing in Advent booklets uh, where... For the next four to five weeks, we have daily devotions every single day to hopefully get you all on the same page, moving forward, understanding the birth of Jesus and what that means. If you did not get an Advent booklet, we have given out exactly at this point 497 of these, which means that if all of you didn't get one, how no because we're going to have to order some more next week. So uh, there's a couple up here. Grab them. If they're all gone, talk to people at the Welcome Center. They'll take your name and number down. We're going to order some more, and we'll call you and tell you when they're here. But these are for your family to be able to have and go through. The sermon notes are actually inside of these as well. Uh, If you kind of missed last week, it's okay. Uh, Your next daily devotions are going to start on page 35, and they start tomorrow morning. They're short and they're simple. Go along every day. Kind of brings us all back together in our Advent journey. Good? All right. Today is also your last day to turn in your go bags. If you grabbed one of the things and you meant to fill it up and bring it back and you forgot. I don't know what to tell you because I told last service they could leave and come back and bring it during this service. But, you know, this is it. There's the door. No. Not. Figure it out. Well, you can drop them off this week if you forgot. But today is the last day to turn in your go bags and stuff. So, so try to remember that as well. Uh, welcome to Element. If you are new, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. There's Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. Normally, there are sermon notes on the communion tables throughout the room. But again, those are now in your Advent booklets uh, today. If you, have a, if you have a smartphone, though, you can download an app. It's called YouVersion. Uh, you will get uh, sermon notes, verses, questions, things that go, kind of go along with today's message in there. But you won't get the full advent devotional so we encourage you to grab one if you are someone who doesn't like paper in your hands and you're like you know you, you, we have a downloadable version as well send us an email at info at our element we'll send you a link to the downloadable version as well so you can have the pdf of the entire thing it's it's okay they're not copyrighted because we made them so steal it and print it do whatever you want with it i don't i don't really care um so advent is a little bit different so i'm going to have you stand with me for prayer and then we're going to do the advent reading okay let's pray 
Father, thank you so much for being a God who rescues and redeems and saves. And I ask that you would remind us what it means to be a people who love and live and follow you. That today you would remind us of the hope that you are good for what you have said, that you bring to fruition all the things that you have placed in the scriptures and point us all to your son. Amen. Have a seat. Luke 2, 8 through 20, the shepherds and the angels. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. I'm glad it didn't make you stand for all that, right? You're like, oh my goodness, I would have had backaches for the next week. At Christmas, it comes early to Element because we are starting today, moving on into the season of Advent. Throughout the church history, there's always been the debates as to what's most important on a church calendar, Christmas or Easter. I think it's a dumb debate because you can't have one without the other. It's like, you, you, you got to be born to die. So, okay. So, as, as we keep saying, starting today, we're doing something we've never done at Element. We're going to actually go through this whole idea of Advent. Advent is meant to be a time where it starts in sober reflection that moves into a time of loud and crazy and, and raucous joy. Advent takes place over four weeks. We're going to do it about four and a half to five. Uh, each week, again, bringing a reflection of Christmas fulfillment. Uh, depending on your church tradition, there is no rhyme or reason how you do it, except that week one is usually hope and week three is usually joy. Other than that, it's kind of like, do whatever you want. So we're elements, we're going to do whatever we want. We're just going to kind of run with that. Uh, Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. The first week of Advent is about hope. It's about all the Old Testament prophecies coming together so we understand the mission of God, what he calls us to in our lives, and how it all comes to fruition in the person of Jesus and his birth. And Advent becomes like the moment before the moment. It's like if uh, someone's getting married and the, and the bride's walking down the aisle and they haven't said, I do. That's like the moment before the moment. It's, it's like the, uh, a mom who's giving birth and the baby's still inside and the water broke and they're going to the, it's still the moment before the moment. That, that's what Christmas, Christmas and everything that goes before it is. We're in the moment before the moment of Christmas and it's, it's just a really, really beautiful thing. All the way back in Genesis, God starts the revelation of himself and his hope not with the scientific treaty, not with something that says at 2 p.m. on Friday, 12,000 or 5 billion B.C., whatever, that God took a quintillion subatomic particles and made septons and mosons and quarks and atoms, and with these, he, it doesn't do that. 
What Genesis starts with is a poem. It's song, and it's lyrical, and it's movement, and it overshadows and covers all types of things. Genesis 1-1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's how this poem and this narrative starts. You go to verse 14, and it says, And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons, for days and for years. If you write in your Bible, I would say you should circle the word seasons, days, and years. Because the word seasons and days and years, they meant something to the original writer and to the people who heard this originally. That God has set up a rhythm to life. Creation is set up in a way that it's going to go somewhere because of what God is doing. Before men and women are even on the earth, there's a trajectory to creation. There is a mission to what God is doing. Now, if you look at rhythm very practically, I could take this hammer and this piece of wood, and every time I do this, people think, he's going to hit his thumb! Look, I already got calluses on my thumbs out here. Not from today, but I got... And I was just to be like this. Imagine that at like 3 a.m., okay? Your neighbor says, I want to build me a shed. And you're like, oh! And it drives you nuts because there's no cadence. It's just this... over. Now... People have said this is how they feel about the snare drum on the drums. It kind of sounds like this. And it makes no sense when there's no rhyme or reason to it. But as soon as you put beats and meter and rhythm in the middle of it, it can sound like this. Be more cowbell! <laughs> Mike hates it when I do this to him, by the way. He's like, oh, don't make me do that. I feel horrible. Now, sound can start to grate on nerves if you don't have a meter. or This is what snoring sounds like. Now, scientists say that one of the reasons we hate snoring so much is that there is no rhythm to it. It's just the volume goes up and down. It's all over the place. You don't know when it's coming and when it's stopping. I was talking to somebody in first service, though, and and their husband got really sick this year. And they said, it's the first time I've ever enjoyed snoring because I knew that he was live. So I'm like, oh, that's so sweet. Most time we hate snoring, though, right? It just, because, because there's no cadence, no rhythm to it. It's like a, like a stuck doorbell. Sounds like this. It's like Halloween. You gave out the horrible candy, and the neighbor kid's like, I'm going to super glue that doorbell. Right? And they come in, and it's horrible. But as soon as you take maybe those same tones that make up a doorbell, and you put them in metered and rhythm with different tones, you can get something that sounds like this. Because now there's rhythm behind it. You know, it's, it's this whole idea when all of a sudden there's rhythm behind it, it starts to become music. Not country music, obviously, but like, <laughs> but like, but like r- real music, right? Because there's pauses and there's rest and there's rhythm. You know when to play and when not to play. What you see in the book of Genesis in creation is that time is related to this rhythm. And when things are not broken up correctly, when our lives are not done the way God calls them to be done, you start, your life starts to sound like a, a stuck doorbell. Or it starts to sound like a refrigerator buzz. It just goes on and on. It's like, wake up, eat, drink, go to the bathroom, get dressed, let the cat out, let the dog out, let the cat back in. It sounds like my life, I know. Right? Let the cat back in. Uh, feed the dog, feed the cat, feed the dog the cat. 
you got kids, it's like it's like change diaper, feed the kids breakfast, pack for the day, change the other diaper, email the to-do list, look at the calendar, grab a grocery list, make phone calls, start laundry, get in car, get gas, go home, get the kid you forgot. Take them, take them to school, right? Drop them off, you go to work, and that's like your first hour. Before you even know it, you're like, where did November even go? You're like, and, and sometimes our lives start to drone on like that, and there's no rhythm and no cadence, not broken up correctly, and we get the equivalency of a broken doorbell or refrigerator buzz in our lives. And so when you read in the scriptures the word seasons there, it isn't just about the three seasons we have in Santa Maria, which is like wind fertilizing the field poop month and, and marine layer, right? Or the other four seasons of winter, spring, summer, and fall. Seasons has the idea of how God's creation will interact with time. Seasons, there's, it's this word called moedin, and it means appointed times. The writer of Genesis says there are movements in the sky that breaks up our lives into 24-hour days, that there's cycles of the moon that equivalent to about a month of time. We have these months. You have the telting of the earth, which makes the seasons. You have the earth traveling around the sun. This gives us our years. There's all these rhythms to the creation that God has made, and these are meant to break up our lives in such a way to create space where we get to meet with God where we get to spend time with him. Like Genesis 3 alludes to that the man and the woman once got to walk with God in the garden in the cool of the day. God sets up these weekly seasons for our lives. Work six, rest one. And when you work all the time, you lose the rhythm. When you rest all the time, you lose the rhythm. If you sit in your mom's basement and play World of Warcraft all day, you lose the rhythm to life. This is why that seventh day was so important when God speaks about it in the scriptures. Because the seventh day is not a vacation day. It's not about a 20-minute power nap. It's the whole reason for those first six days. Because every day through Genesis 1 is evening and morning day 1, evening and morning day 2. There's the rhythm to that. But when you get to the seventh day, all it says in Genesis 2 verse 3 is, On it God rested from all of his, all his work that he had done in creation. It doesn't say evening and morning, which is supposed to mean it doesn't come to an end. It is God ruling and reigning over his creation, which in turn brings rest to his people. It's God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the idea of the Sabbath, of all the seasons and rhythms that God has placed within our lives. And by this point, you're probably thinking, okay, we started at Advent, we talked about rhythm, how does this even go together? Glad you asked. Open to Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. All of these things that God put in place leads to the birth of Jesus and the life that he came to bring and restore. Because as you and I both know, because the world which we live in, mankind doesn't stay in the beauty and the relationship with God in the garden. We wanted our own rhythms. We wanted our own seasons. We wanted our own way. And we break relationship with God. So what God does throughout the course of the scriptures is he moves forward and sets out these times and seasons to redeem humanity. Galatians 4.4 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that they might receive adoption as sons. It's about times and seasons and days and years and millennia that God moves his plan forward to rescue his children. In almost every Advent tradition, the first candle of the wreath is always called hope or expectation because it symbolizes all those Old Testament prophecies that God talked about coming to fruition in the birth of Jesus. And as you can tell, the hope candle is lit. 
Next week, the next one, love will be lit. And it kind of works your way through that. But today we're focusing on hope because we want to understand what God was doing in these rhythms and in these seasons. That God is drawing our attention to Jesus as God always does. One writer says this, The anticipation of the coming of an anointed one, a Messiah, weaves its way like a golden thread through Old Testament history. As God's people were abused by power-hungry kings, led astray by self-centered prophets, and lulled into apathy by half-hearted religious leaders, there arose a longing among some for God to raise up a new king who would show them how to be God's people. What they wanted was to walk with God in the garden in the cool of the day. They wanted, again, this idea of God with us. And that's what Jesus was when he came. Galatians 4.4, 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. That's the rhythm of those seasons coming together. Kind of like a graduation of sorts, right? You go through all this schooling and all this time, and you get to the graduation day, and you get that diploma, and you walk across the stage. It's like, yay! It's like all that effort and energy coming together. That's, that's the fruition of all the Old Testament coming to Jesus. And it's so weird to me how we always make this about us. We're always saying things like, oh, I'm so wonderful that God saved me, or God you know, needed us so much to be in a relationship with him that he saved No, no. God does these things because God himself is good. Because God blesses and God loves and God has a mission to redeem and rescue people. The graduation was because of what he had promised to do and what he had done because he is good. This year I read this book by John Ortberg and he points out that every year at these graduation and commencement ceremonies that when people give a book to graduates as a gift, there's, a, there's one book they give more than any other. Whether it is kindergarten graduations, which apparently is a really big thing now, or it's high school or junior high or college or grad school graduation, there's one book that tops the list that they give out. The book is called Oh, the Places You'll Go. Now I'm going to read you some stuff out of the book and I'm going to ask you who the author is when I'm done. Okay? It goes like this. Congratulations. Today is your day. You're off to great places. You're off and away. You have brains in your head, you have feet in your shoes, you can steer yourself any direction you choose. When, and when things start to happen, don't worry, don't stew, just go right along. You'll start happening too. Oh, the places you'll go, you'll be on your way up, you'll be seeing great sights, you'll join the high flyers who sort of high heights. Except when you don't, because sometimes you won't. All alone, whether you like it or not, alone will be something you'll be quite a lot. Killed you move mountains, so be your name Buxom or Bixby or Bray or Mordecai, Elvin, Allen, O'Shea. You're off to great places. Today is your day. Your mountain is waiting, so get on your way. Who's the author? Right, because you know the great American classics. <laughs> right? You're like, oh, yeah. I love Dr. Seuss because he has rhythm to it. And he's got cadence, and it's like these things that kind of fit all together. It's, it's, it's really nice. And I also think sometimes, sometimes, there's some very profound things that he says as well. Now, when God moves his plan of redemption forward, it's first seen in the Old Testament, Genesis 3.15. God promises, I'm going to come, and I'm going to rescue. You move quickly to a guy named Enoch who walks with God. You get to a guy named Noah, and God makes a covenant with him, but it really gets traction in this guy named Abraham. Now, there's two commands that are given to Abraham in the scriptures that point to what God is doing and why God is redeeming and why God is saving and what God's plan is in his mission. God comes to Abraham out of the blue in Genesis 12. You can open your Bibles there if you want to. And when God comes to Abraham out of the blue, Abraham didn't expect it. He does nothing to deserve it. And all of a sudden, Genesis 12, God essentially shows up and says, congratulations, today is your day. You're off to great places. You're off and away. It's like, God... Are, are you quoting Dr. Zeus? No, Dr. Zeus quote, quotes God. Now, so Abraham's you know, like, what places? How will I know when I get there? Can I take Sarah or do I leave her behind? What do I do? Can I have a map? 
And God essentially says, no, you're going to have to trust me. It's going to be an adventure of faith, and it's going to be amazing. Genesis 12.1, God says, go from your country. God's first command is, you go. You go to the places that I'm going to show you. And when going like this, it means you're going to have to trust me. You have to trust me. Because, Abraham, you are going to be part of what I am doing in the world. You're going to leave all the places that are familiar to you. All the things that are known to you, because my mission of hope and redemption, which is going to start really kind of with you, Abraham, involves the whole world. He says, I'm concerned with all of humanity. I mean, Abraham has never met or known or heard the living God, and God just shows up and he speaks, and the first word he says is, go! It's like, go. It reminds me like when Jesus rises from the dead in Matthew 28, 9, he says to these ladies, the first word says, greetings. It's the most simple greeting you could give in Greek. It's like, hey, This is what God seems to always do. He shows up to Abraham, out of the boot, hey, go. I mean, it's it's kind of funny how God does this. He says, says, go, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house. This would be all the rhythms that he has known in his life, all traditions that he has come through. And go to the land, I will show you. So Abraham knows what he's leaving. He has no idea where he's going. It's like John Calvin says, "What, what God asked Abraham to do was close his eyes, take God's hand, and walk with him. You and I, in our culture, we would ask God a lot of questions. We would say, okay, God, what type of land is it? Are there wells there? Is there water? Is it like Sisquak or like Santa Barbara? Because this is really important to me. Where do I got to live? I don't want to live in Gary. You know, Santa Barbara, okay, I'll, I'll do that. God just wants Abraham to give up everything and trust him. Everything Abraham has worked for his entire life. Let it, up, let it go and trust me. And God makes Abraham promises. He says, I will do this and I will do this. All these promises rest on God. Verse 2, God says, and I will make of you a great nation. This is funny because Abraham's wife is barren and she's older than childbearing years. And he says, you'll be a great nation. This is why Abraham is a prototype of faith. He believes in possible things. And God says, and I will bless you. When your hands are empty, Abraham, I am the one who will fill them. He says, and I will make your name great. Now, this is interesting because Abraham comes from a place called Babylon. And if you were here during Legends of the Fall, Babylon built this whole city to make their name great. And God's like, that's not going to happen. And so now God says, you trust me. Glory will go where it needs to be in God's hands. And God says, and I will make your name great. Why? So it says, so that you will be a blessing. Why does God make Abraham's name great? To be a blessing. Into verse 3 it says, And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This means, again, God loves the whole world. He wants people to walk with Him. And God decides to bless the entire world, starting with this guy named Abraham. And through this guy's line, through the times and the seasons and the years, Jesus eventually comes. Now, in this passage, there are two commands that God gives. One of them is to go, and the other one is to bless. That's it. God says to Abraham, I will bless you, but the blessing is not for you to keep. The blessing is for you to give away. You are blessed to be a blessing. Two things. Go and bless. I'm trying to think, you know, the message, you got like one big idea. What do I want you guys to walk out of here with? I want you to walk out with go bless. That's what I want. So I thought, what is the best way I can get you to remember this? And I thought, high school pep rally. I don't know. You, you, you just had nightmares when I said that, right? Okay, okay. We're going to figure this out. It's going to be better. You can be... You're never going to remember the, forget this morning for the rest of your life. So, your southern room, you are go, okay? This southern room, you are bless. You're like, oh my goodness, nightmares. Right, okay. So, when I go like this, go! You, so weak. Go! Bless! Wow! Go!
first do that except for this one. And what do you do? You go, Earth. Right? Sweet. I am using this one for the video. You know, you're like, that's a dumbest servant. But you never forget it, right? You're not going to forget. Go, go and bless. I mean, in the Christmas season, it is so easy to forget that God has called us to go and bless. We've made it so much about ourselves, but God says, no, you're to go and you're to bless. This is The whole Christmas season is to remind us that God is about seeking and saving lost and broken people. God says to Abraham, I will bless you. All the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through you. This becomes a foundational, a creedal text in the scriptures for the people of Israel and the course of hope and redemption that arrives in Jesus. Genesis 18, 18, God says, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. That's the word through him. Abraham, that guy. Genesis 22, verse 18, God says to Abraham again, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. To Isaac, Abraham's son, Genesis 26, verse 4, And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Strangest thing, it keeps going. Then he gets to Jacob, who is Isaac's son, who God renames Israel, Genesis 28, verse 14, And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God keeps moving it forward in the rhythm and time of redemption. This is what God has been about. This is the mission statement, like we would say in our day. That's the mission statement for Abraham as a man. Glorify God, and you go, and you bless. That is the mission statement for the people of Israel. It's the mission statement for you and me as a people, because it is the mission of Christmas. It's the mission of God for his people. It's the mission of redemption. Your mission is to go and to bless. That's what it is. I mean, we are on this planet to glorify God and to go and to bless. It's why you get born. It's why you wake up. Go and bless. Go and bless. Well, what, what does it mean to bless? To bless means you add life. You enhance life. That's not because you're so smart and you're so wonderful and all your opinions count so much. It's that you understand the hope that was first given to you. And you start to give away that hope that was given to you. You bless others by steering them to the person of Jesus Christ. You live in such a way that you begin to make life abundant around you. Blessing is fundamentally what God does. The first time you see in the scriptures the word bless is in Genesis chapter 1, verses 20 to 22, and it says, And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. God said, fish, I want a lot of fish. Make a lot of fish. Increase in number. I want a lot of you. Fill the water of the seas. When I see the water of the seas, I want to see lots of fish. And I love that picture because I don't like fish. And God does. And God says, I want to see a lot of fish. How many fish did God make? A lot of fish. One fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish. Right? He makes a lot of fish. He makes all these because he wants to bless. There's so many of us. Because God wants to bless. Go bless. That's, that's the mission of God. It continues throughout the entire Old Testament as God keeps reorienting his people around the idea of redemption, that the Messiah will come. God's mission is to bring Jesus to redeem us all. 
And there is this phrase that's been around for a couple centuries now. It's Latin, and it's called the Missio Dei, the mission of God. The mission of God. When we talk about mission statements, Element has a mission statement. Our mission statement is to glorify God by teaching and living out the Scriptures, by turning community into gospel community and planting churches. That mission statement is about going and being a blessing. Mission statements go back before there's corporations, before there's cities, before there's human organizations, before there's even people. Mission begins with God. God has a mission. That's why he made for himself a people. But his mission comes before the people. His mission comes before the Bible. He gave his mission a Bible. He gave his mission a people. Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Again, God's mission is to glorify himself, but he does that through redemption and blessing. And he sends his people to go do the same things. God creates human beings in Genesis 1. They, they have relationship with him. He walks with them. He blesses them. God says, prosper, reproduce, fill the earth, take charge, be responsible for those fish in the sea and the birds in the air and every living creature that walks on the face of the earth. There's a rhythm to that. God makes and he blesses. God makes and he blesses. God sends us and says, go, bless, go, bless. There's a rhythm to that. God makes human beings and blesses them. Because you're made in the image of God and to steal from Dr. Seuss, you and you and you and whoever you are, right? You're to be a blessing to the earth. Human beings are blessed to be a blessing. There is mission. There is a rhythm. All the turning of the earth and all the turning of the seasons are meant to turn to the hope that is found in Jesus. It's God's mission. Before and underneath, every human mission is God's mission. To send Jesus at the appointed time to save, offer hope, and to bless. That is what we understand. So, if you are not a believer this morning in Jesus Christ, you know, what do you do? Well, today is your day. Okay, you're off to great places, you're off and away. We have deacons and elders who would love to talk to you and introduce you to Jesus Christ, to see your life surrender to who he is. If you are a believer, you know, where should you bless? Wherever you go. Wherever you go. When should you do it? Now! All the time. All the time. Because Ad always, Advent is here. It is here. And, and we're going to talk about and understand the moment before the moment. But we, if you understand this, we actually live in the true grace of the moment that is after the moment of Jesus' birth. We live in the true moment because Christ has come. It's why we sing that song, Oh, for joy, lift up your voice, the Christ has come. Let the whole world see the Lord because the Christ has come. And we can't do anything but live that out. And you might say, but I'm not trained, or I'm not skilled, or I don't know how, or I can't articulate anything about my faith. I don't know how to talk about Jesus. I don't have the resources. It is as simple as Dr. Seuss. You go, and you bless. You go, and you bless. And people say, why are you blessing me? You say, because God loves you. He has loved me, and he has told me to bless you. I was talking about this last service. It's like, I told my wife, I hate going to Costco. After, from Black Friday to January 10th, right? Because it is a zoo. And I do not understand. Does everybody like, here's your present of 50 pieces of toilet paper, you know? I mean, why does everybody go to Costco during these times? I don't get it. I buy my lettuce at Costco, so it's very hard for me, okay? You know, so, and, and so what do you do when, when you're at Costco and all these people are going crazy? Let somebody go in front of you in the line. Give somebody your parking spot. Put their cart away for them. I don't have time to do that. Get up earlier, go earlier. It's not about you. You've got to learn to go into blessing, something as simple as that. When they say, why are you letting me go in front of you? Because Jesus loves you. 
and he, and he loved me, and so I'm trying to show that as well. And they'd be like, weirdo. And you're like, that's right, I am. <laughs> but you go and you're blessed in practical ways. And what you do always points back to the hope of the gospel that God has given to you and to me. It's simple how we do this. And I'll tell you, in the scriptures, it's not optional. We don't get the option to say no. It's one of the reasons why Jesus saves us, to glorify God by us going and being a blessing. I mean, there are appointed times and there's appointed seasons, and we're in the season of hope. It is not overwhelming fear that you forgot to get somebody their present, or the overwhelming fear that you didn't get what you want or something like that. It's, It's the understanding that the best present in the world is the understanding of salvation, that Jesus has come to rescue and redeem and find us. All throughout the scriptures, God has promised his people that he would never leave them without a shepherd. And what you will see throughout the scriptures is that the people strayed, they ran after other gods, they forgot God's mission, and and God forbid, just like us, they made the mission of God all about themselves. Oh, we're a blessed nation, we're a blessed people, we're a blessed, like, like we do. Oh, Jesus saved me, Jesus loves me. Well, you're supposed to give that away. And even in all of that, God still promises a shepherd is going to come. And when the shepherd comes, it is God with us. Jesus is God in the flesh to save us. The Jews expected this earthly king, but their expectations fell far short of God's revelation of himself in Jesus Christ. When the true hope of the world came. And I will tell you, today there are still lost and broken people in need of hope and blessing. And we are meant to be people who speak into other people's lives and offer that hope and that blessing where we get rid of our own self-centeredness and our own sin and our eyes pointed on us and we start to focus on who Jesus is. And so we start Advent with expectation, with hope, and wait to see God's continuing work in the world as we live on mission with and for Him by going and being a blessing. And I want to tell you something else that's really cool. So we were told in the Scriptures there's going to be a new or a second Advent, that Jesus is coming again, that He is coming again. I think it will be amazing, and I think all of our highest expectations are going to fall far short of what it will look like. I really do. But I will tell you, even through all that, the mission will not change. The mission will always stay the same. That is to go and to bless. Because Jesus is the hope of the world. He is the hope, the only hope that we have ever had. And everything that God has done is pointed to His Son and what His Son has done to raise Him up. And God gets great glory and His people get great joy as we go when we bless and we live the mission of God. It's a beautiful thing that God has done and God continues to do. And I think the most amazing part is He comes alongside of us and invites us to be part of that mission with Him. I'll tell you, God could probably get it done so much easier without us. Really. Because I've, I've seen the way a lot of us drive and shop. Okay, And yet God still keeps coming alongside his people and raising them back up and lifting them back up and calling them to redemption and calling them to hope and sends them out to learn to be that blessing. And yes, we will fall on our faces a lot. I, I know that, that God tends to take people who have a really hard time with it and he sticks them in situations where they have to learn how to bless. And it's, not, and it's not easy. And it's not easy. But he keeps moving us back so we learn and we grow beyond ourselves to remember that our strength is found in him. That our hope is found in him. That our lives are to be oriented around him. This is why we talk about communion every single week. It's where you break that cracker which reminds us of his Christ's body that was broken for you and me. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice it reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and me. Because Jesus comes and blesses us by taking away all the sin, all the junk that stands between us and God and us and each other. 
And now that that is taken away, we get to live in a relationship with God again, and we get to go out and be a blessing to those around us. That all of our lives can be redeemed. And that our God is better than we can ever imagine. Uh, the band's going to come up. And as they do, we invite you guys to, I said, take communion, be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you need prayer, I mean, you know, maybe you're one of those people who went out Black Friday shopping and you're one of the guys on the news that beat somebody up. <laughs> or maybe somebody beat you up, whatever. You know. Part of what we need to understand in the middle of Advent and all this is that our lives, when they're focused on us, that's what they all tend to lean towards. Thinking that we are more important than everybody else. When our eyes are focused upon Advent and hope, who Jesus is, and our lives turn in that direction, everything begins to get our eyes off ourselves and onto Him. It is important for our eyes to be where they need to be, or we can so easily become one of those people you see on the news on Black Friday. And instead, we want to be a people who go and offer hope and blessing, who are going and blessing. Uh, there's an offering box on the sidewall in the back. We give because God gave so much to us. Giving is simply part of our worship, so you have the opportunity every week. There's food in the back. Uh, grab something to eat, meet some other people, and hopefully, as a community together, you guys can start going and blessing others in that way. Together. Together with one another. Um, guys, I will tell you. I'll tell you. Our God is so much better to us than we will ever recognize. I think when when we get to see him face to face and we understand all the ways and all the places in our lives that he has blessed us, we're going to stand back and go, I didn't even see one-tenth of one percent of that because he is constantly good and constantly calling us to be a people who understand that blessing, even when we don't see it, but to live lives of hope and grace because he is a God who has offered us hope and grace. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would teach us what it means to be those who live in the hope that you have provided, that we remember that you are the hope of the world and that the purpose of our lives is to glorify you and to go and to bless. And that we can speak into people's lives, offering them the same hope that we have received. That the blessings that we see and don't see in our lives are always meant to steer us back to you. That our lives would honor you by how we go and bless. That we would understand the price of the freedom that you have paid to set us free. And in that freedom we would find great joy and great hope. And I ask that as we might forget this week that we are called to go and bless, you remind us of a stupid high school pep rally where we can say, go bless, go bless. And a situation we find ourselves in and we may think, well, what do I even do now? We would remember, go bless, go bless. And that we would pray for our friends and our enemies to understand the great blessing that is found, that has found us and the great blessing that it is to live the life that you call us to. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for rescuing us. Give us the strength to go and bless. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.